You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with new urgency in the Middle East. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has formed an emergency government and a wartime cabinet, indicating an escalation in its response to Hamas. Hundreds of thousands of Israeli soldiers are amassing near the Gaza Strip as missiles rain down for a fifth day. Global's Joel Senek reports. A chorus weaving its way through one coastal Israeli city. The national anthem being sung from balconies Wednesday night as another round of rockets light up the sky. Earlier in the day, scenes of raw emotion. These volunteers assembling flowers for hundreds of families preparing to bury their loved ones. Every one of us knows somebody who had been killed, kidnapped, and taken in captivity. It's terrible. The death toll is expected to rise as fighting rages on following Hamas's surprise weekend attack. The head of the Israel Defense Forces telling reservists wherever there are Hamas leaders, the army will strike. This video released Wednesday appears to show Israeli targets being hit inside Gaza, a region facing a desperate reality. The territory's only power plant is now out of fuel and shut down, while hospitals deal with dwindling medical supplies. The situation is extremely uh, horrific against our civilian population. The destruction is beyond imagination. Humanitarian groups continue to call for the creation of a corridor to bring necessities to those in Gaza. This doctor calling for a safe passage to take the wounded elsewhere for treatment. The call for aid comes as much of the global community continues to denounce Hamas's attack on Israel. On Wednesday, top European Union officials held a minute of silence, while U.S. President Joe Biden again spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Officials confirming Americans are among the dozens currently held captive by Hamas. We want to make it real clear, we're working on every aspect of the hostage crisis in Israel, including deploying experts to advise and assist with recovery efforts. Now, many Canadians are desperate to get out of the conflict zone. And the federal government is promising to help. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie announcing details of an emergency airlift that could start later this week. Aaron MacArthur is at YVR with more on the resources to get Canadians home. Aaron. By this time Friday, Canadians who have been stranded in the Middle East should be back on home soil. While the Canadian military says planning has been underway since the first hours of this conflict, critics are wondering why it will be almost a full week before citizens are repatriated. As Israeli bombs pound targets inside Gaza, the Israeli government, in a show of unity, naming a war cabinet, a ground invasion of the Palestinian enclave remains likely. The escalation of the conflict between Hamas and Israel a direct threat to civilians across the region. British Columbians with family in Israel and in Gaza worried about what will happen to their loved ones. Annie Ohana has worked in the West Bank offering humanitarian aid. Her family 
remains in Israel. My parents are stuck there. Um, we are trying to figure out a way that either a plane from Canada goes out to, you know, take these people home or that the, the airport reopens in some way, right? Um, just something. While other countries, including Argentina, have dispatched planes to rescue citizens, Canada has been slower to respond. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie announcing details of the plan to fly Canadians home. Two military aircraft will leave Tel Aviv by the end of the week. The plan is to offer three daily flights to ferry about 150 passengers at a time to Athens, where Air Canada will pick them up and complete the journey to either Toronto or Montreal. These flights will be available to Canadian citizens, their spouses and their children, as well as to Canadian permanent residents, their spouses and their children. Plans are still being finalized for Canadians unable to get to Tel Aviv. According to Global Affairs, there are nearly 500 Canadians registered in Gaza and in the West Bank. It's estimated fewer than 100 are actively seeking to leave. Should the United Nations work on an evacuation, we would be working with them. At this point, two Canadians are confirmed killed in the conflict. A third is presumed dead. The federal government will not discuss if any Canadians are being held hostage by Hamas. Global Affairs says the priority for the first few flights anyway will be for travel-ready Canadians, citizens with passports and other documentation on their person. The government says it's negotiating with Air Canada for what the cost will be for that onward flight from Athens back home. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the B.C. Prosecution Service has laid multiple charges against a man accused of printing 3D firearms. 31-year-old Adrian Pickett's Yoxall from Hefley Creek is facing charges, including two counts of firearms manufacturing, possession of a prohibited weapon, and unauthorized possession of a non-restricted firearm. These charges come after 3D printed guns and the printer that allegedly created them were seized from a home in Hefley Creek in January. Pickett's Yoxall is currently not in police custody, so anyone with information about his location is asked to call their local police detachment or Crime Stoppers. The search in Whistler for a missing senior is into its third day, and it's becoming more and more urgent. Cassidy Moscone joins us live with more on why the weather and the missing man's medical condition are both growing concerns. Cassidy. Well, it was just pristine conditions here today, Chris, but locals here tell me that things can change pretty quickly. This is a race against the clock and every minute matters. Clear skies, calm conditions, but still no one is any clearer on where Robert McKean and his dog Lexi are. Search documentation, the areas in black are areas that a team of three have covered off, so typically we're looking at 10 metres spacing uh, in this type of forest cover. Search teams have covered a lot of ground in three days. Every trail walked, and today they stepped it up. Helicopters called in to drop crews into dense areas of forest. The area of focus, about a kilometre stretch north from where the 80-year-old was last seen at the top of Alpine Way Monday morning. We're coming into very wet conditions, we're coming into cold conditions. The longer he's out there without warmth, without food, of course it becomes even more dire. 
Neighbours out looking even more worried because of Robert's health conditions. So someone living with dementia, we don't know. What matters is that we get him home to his wife, to his daughter, to his caregivers, and that we just don't have these unknowns anymore. We are seeing a real increase in people with dementia or cognitive impairment getting lost and that's leading to both more searches and rescues for people but it's also leading to a big call for some type of greater silver alert system at this point there's no plan to slow down the search will continue uh, into the immediate future All search crews have been stood down tonight. They'll be back out there again tomorrow morning. We've seen teams from all across the lower mainland, from Coquitlam and even as far south as South Fraser. Hope is not all lost here for Robert and Lexi. Chris. Let's hope there's good news soon, Cassidy. Thanks very much. That's Cassidy Moscone in Whistler. Well, for two years, Vancouver's waterfront Crab Park has been home to a large tent encampment. But today... Park rangers were out issuing notices to campers who aren't following the rules. But as Grace Key reports, they say there isn't enough room in that part of the park for everyone, and they don't have anywhere else to go. Crystal? Yep. Oh, you're in there. Okay. Vancouver Park Rangers handed out bylaw notices to those staying on the south side of Crab Park, where about two dozen tents are set up. Every tent in the south side of the park needs to abide by the same bylaws as every other park. Uh, which means you can only set up your tent from dusk until 8 a.m. According to the notice, temporary shelters must be packed down and become mobile by 8 a.m. each day. If not, park rangers have the authority to remove them. Good morning. Is the dog in there today? Is Do you have a hold of him? Signs indicate that tents can stay up during the day on the northwest point of Crab Park. A B.C. Supreme Court ruling in 2022 allows for the tents, citing insufficient shelter space. Some plan to move to the north side. Others say there's no space. Do you think you'll come back or go somewhere else? No, I'm going down to the middle. Down where? Where we're allowed to go, to the in middle, where everybody else is. All the, over there in that quarter, it's all packed, so they want us to move us in there. There's not enough room, it's impossible. So I guess it's gonna have to come down to like, and, you know, us standing our ground and say, no, where else are we gonna go? A statement from the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation reads in part, throughout the month of October, the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation will be doing a cleanup of Crab Park, including removal of structures outside the general manager's designated area in accordance with the park control bylaw. We're not asking people to leave, we're asking people to comply with the bylaw. If you are inside, let us be known. Otherwise, we'll have to collapse the tents. For the last two years, park rangers have been handing out weekly information notices to those sheltering in the park, in addition to making daily visits. The City of Vancouver's homeless outreach team and its partners continue to offer support services and access to shelter spaces. We'll just leave it out front here, just uh, it gives an outline of the details. Okay, have a good day. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim and his ABC team are introducing new steps to build homes faster in the city. Sim outlined a motion with seven items he says will eliminate red tape to prioritize new builds. One of the projects includes 26 villages made up of townhomes and multiplexes. The plan uses Burnaby as a role model to help increase density around underdeveloped SkyTrain stations. 
And Sim also says he will work with the province to crack down on illegal short-term rentals. The time frame is as quick as possible, and it's, you know, it, we're not going to give a number on units. The, the role of the City of Vancouver is to create an environment where we can build more housing of all types as quickly as possible. So the targets we would be talking about is how do we actually reduce, reduce times to process permits and to allow people to uh, build quicker. The motion will be tabled next Wednesday. And construction workers are pushing for changes that would make a day on the job site a little more pleasant. They've had enough of the outhouse-style bathrooms. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, their union wants the province to make flushable toilets mandatory on larger projects. We all use them. Flushing toilets have been around a long time. The first patent for one was granted in 1775. They're pretty much everywhere. Unless you work on a construction site. Tradespeople are typically stuck with porta potties, those nasty, smelly bathrooms in a box. They're just so disgusting, they stink. Uh, you walk in there and you just want to vomit instantly. Who would disagree? So now the BC Building Trades Council, which represents more than 40,000 workers, is calling on the province to mandate flushing toilets on construction sites with 25 or more workers. The situation we have today is just not good enough. When we look at other industries like film, like tourism, like entertainment, they've been able to bring clean, uh, portable flush toilet facilities to their industries. The industry believes flushing toilets would help attract desperately needed workers, especially women. But it seems the province wants to avoid toilet talk, notably mandates. Why would you wait to be mandated to treat your uh, workers with dignity and respect? And so I would urge all employers to make sure that they have um, operational, clean facilities for all of their workers. Quebec has mandated them since 2015, and workers like Peter White say BC should as well. A lot of contractors I feel they just want to do the bare minimum. They don't really care about the workers. That basic porcelain bowl with water, something we all take for granted, not construction workers who are making the loo priority number one. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The controversial foundational skills assessments test for grades four and seven is once again in the spotlight. The Surrey Teachers Association and the BC Teachers Federation says it's time to scrap the test. But as Richard Zussman reports, schools are making it more difficult to opt out. It's a test the Surrey Teachers Association says no longer makes the grade. Take that money and that resources and provide more EA support, more learning support. Teachers across BC calling on the province to scrap foundational skills assessments, the annual exam for grades four and seven. This while school administrators are upping the pressure on parents, calling those who asked for exemptions for their kids, encouraging them to change their mind. Why? It's not going to be on the kids' report cards. It's not going to get more supports in schools. It's not going to get an increase in the budget. The current test exemptions include a documented learning need, insufficient language proficiency, and extenuating circumstances. This could include challenges at home or anxiety writing standardized tests. But beyond that, the BC Teachers Federation is encouraging all parents to ask for exemptions. We think it's a decision that a student and their parent can make. 
Um, and if they feel like it's something that's going to be, uh, you know, more more harmful or less helpful than just carrying on with their education, we think that should be respected. 73.5% of kids grades four to seven wrote the exam last year, up a percent from the year before. The province supports SFAs. It gives them additional information needed to support learning. But parents are worried that information is not properly being used. And it is very important that they are tracked, that there is a way of tracking. What uh, we at Surrey Deepak don't agree with is how this information is being used. But the bigger problem is how the results are actually used. There are school rankings published, creating anxiety and leading to the teachers union calling on the province to ban the public release of the results. Mass that data, um, keep it private so that the system can use it, so that people who need it for their advocacy can use it, um, but that it's not allowed to be destructive to the education system. A foundational test with crumbling support. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. Pride tape turmoil. The NHL's move to ban expressions of support for special interest groups ripples across the province and the country. How organizations are losing out with the change in policy next on the News Hour. Oh, I thought it was funny. It's, seeing the bear walk around inside the store was pretty cool. A Vancouver Island bear had the whole store to himself, and you won't believe what it picked off the shelf later on the News Hour. Plus, new details in a $20 million gold heist. How the thief got away with the goods revealed in a new lawsuit. Those stories coming up. But first, local LGBTQ plus groups are slamming a recent decision by the NHL to ban players from using any kind of accessory, including pride tape, on their sticks. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the new directive appears to go against the league's own rules. The cutting edges marched with the Canucks during the 2019 Pride Parade. With these steps forward, Vancouver's only LGBTQ2S plus hockey team initially hoped the NHL's decision to ban the use of rainbow-colored Pride tape for any on-ice activities was rumor and not reality. Ever since March, it seems like it's been one step backward, one at a time. It's gone a completely different direction and all the work that's been put in over the last decade has been undone. The ban contradicts the NHL's official rule book which states adhesive tape of any color may be wrapped around the stick for the purpose of reinforcement or to improve control of the puck and follows the league's move in June to ban themed Pride Night warm-up jerseys. While demotivating, Brennan Roy Burton says it affirms the cutting edge's cause. There's reasons for this. It's it's not just because we want to play hockey, right? There there is a need for, to make hockey is is for everyone. While there may not be any pride tape on display at the Canucks home opener, the team's captain says they remain committed to pride in the community. Whether we're wearing the tape or the jerseys, that'll be something that we always support. And we may not be doing anything on the ice, but we'll still be doing our things off the ice to support it. Former NHL executive and ex-Canucks GM Brian Burke slamming the league's decision on social media as a surprising and serious setback, which has stripped clubs of a powerful community outreach tool and removed meaningful support for special initiatives, all to protect a select few who do not want to answer any questions about their choices. Burke and Roy Burton, who says there are over 30 organizations like the Cutting Edges in North America, hope the NHL rethinks its new policy. We're all at a loss here. 
And, and I think just based on that representation from a North American perspective, we do ask the NHL to kind of reconsider their approach here. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up on the news hour, a battle over biofuel. It's a great opportunity to bring new and innovative technology to North America. Semiamu First Nation teams up with an Italian company to turn food waste into energy, but some locals are fighting it. Plus, 10,000 crimes per 100,000 people. An astonishing amount of crime. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev picks a topic close to the hearts of Kelowna residents in a swing through the Okanagan. Traffic is steady both ways over here tonight at the Patello Bridge, but keep in mind there's always road work happening at the north and south end, as well as overnight lane closures for construction. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $16 million, plus a classic $5 million jackpot, two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One over at the Patello Bridge. Federal Conservative leader Pierre Polyev is in the Okanagan today where his first speech of the day focused on his favorite target, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. The official opposition leader spoke in Kelowna where he says homelessness has become a major problem, the direct result of inflation that's doubled the cost of housing and driven up food prices. However, it should be noted, out of all the G7 countries, Canada has the third lowest inflation rate. Polyev also pointed to Kelowna's rising crime. The catch and release criminal justice policies of Trudeau and the NDP have given Kelowna the highest crime rate in all of Canada, 10,000 crimes per 100,000 people. An astonishing amount of crime. That's one crime committed for every 10 citizens that live in Kelowna. That is the direct consequence of Justin Trudeau releasing the most violent criminals into our streets, decriminalizing heroin, crack, and other hard drugs. Polyev says his plan is to make violent repeat offenders ineligible for parole. Tonight, Polyev is holding a rally in Oliver, where he'll meet with the area's fruit growers. Residents in White Rock and South Surrey are mobilizing to oppose a proposed biofuel plant. The plant would be built on Semiamu First Nations land, turning agricultural and food waste into natural gas. But as Janet Brown reports, locals are concerned about emissions from the plant and its proximity to homes, schools and a golf course. How do we ultimately, at the end of the day, be the skippers of our own canoes here? and not reliant on federal grants and federal fundings. The Semiamu First Nation is looking to build a renewable natural gas facility on its land along Highway 99, not far from the Peace Arch border crossing. It's, it's a great opportunity to bring new and innovative technology to North America. Chapel says wasted food and packaging from grocery stores and restaurants would be converted to natural gas and sold back to Fortis, B.C. It's going to go through there and may take out the signs. Many area residents say it is the wrong location with neighborhoods and schools not far from the proposed plant. The concept of converting waste into natural gas is fine, but it is an industrial project. 
It has outflows of a bad material. The company looking to build the plant says the highest environmental standards will be met. The project is going through a very thorough and in-depth review to make sure that we comply with all the environmental standards and we are actually that the emission of the facility is much lower than any of the uh, limits uh, imposed by Metro Vancouver. And what about noise from the plant? There is no noise. The trucking that will happen will happen at night. Because this is an industrial operation being set right in the heart of high-density residential neighborhood with a breeze that comes in off the ocean and it's going to flow directly over top of this. Groundbreaking on the project is set for next summer with construction slated to be complete by 2026. Janet Brown, Global News. Coming up, a daring heist that happened too easily after $20 million in gold and other valuables disappeared from an airport storage facility. A new lawsuit shed some light on how it was lost. And an amateur Canadian golfer who just accomplished what only one other person in the world has done before. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel tonight. Keep in mind, though, there is ongoing construction south of the tunnel on Highway 99 through Delta during the overnight hours. How low can they go? At Buy Low Foods, they go way low. Stock up and save big when you buy more of select products only at Buy Low Foods. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. It's been almost six months since the daring Pearson Airport gold heist, and investigators still haven't located the valuables or identified any suspects. But now Air Canada is being called into question over how it handled the precious cargo before it went missing. Global Sean O'Shea has more. It happened almost six months ago, a mysterious theft of gold and currency from a warehouse at Pearson Airport. At the time, neither Air Canada or the Greater Toronto Airports Authority had much to say. Now the question of who pays has made its way to court. This one jumped out at me because I saw Brinks versus Air Canada listed there, so I pulled the file. Freelance journalist Glenn McGregor discovered the lawsuit filed last week in federal court. 400 kilograms of gold and also 50 kilograms of banknotes. The armored car company Brinks was hired to move the cargo, which traveled from Switzerland on an Air Canada flight when it disappeared. At the time, police shared the value of what was lost. Estimated at this time in our investigation for the property is estimated at just over $20 million. If it was this easy to get out with a product, how easy is it to get in with a product? According to Brinks, which is suing Air Canada, the ripoff was too easy, according to the statement of claim. The thieves simply walked into the Air Canada secure cargo facility and handed over a fraudulent waybill and were allowed to just leave. In the lawsuit, Brinks said Air Canada was reckless, claiming no security protocols or features were in place to monitor, restrict or otherwise regulate the unidentified individual's access to the facilities. Air Canada is not commenting on the lawsuit and hasn't yet responded to the legal action. Nothing's been proven in court. The money has never been found, nor has the gold, which was being moved using something called AC Secure, special handling for high-value cargo, and at a higher-than-usual price. What Brinks is saying in their lawsuit is that Air Canada really dropped the ball here. Sean O'Shea, Global News. In Health Matters today, yet another closure of the emergency room at the South Okanagan General Hospital. Residents of the Oliver area are being warned that the ER will be closed from 8 o'clock tonight 
until 6 p.m. tomorrow. Officials say other inpatient services at the hospital will continue as normal, but people who need emergency services have to go to Penticton for treatment. Interior Health says anyone with chest pains, difficulty breathing, or severe bleeding should call 911. BC Women's Hospital is launching a pilot program to study the needs of new parents and pregnant people who struggle with substance use. The pilot involves 15 community beds across the Lower Mainland and Victoria that will be operated by nonprofits. It will study how to better support new parents who use drugs as well as their newborns as they transition out of the hospital and into the community. Officials involved in the program say new parents with substance use challenges are at a very high risk of fatally overdosing and face a lot of stigma. When people have the services and supports that they need, it can be the difference between saving, saving a person's life and giving them the tools to succeed or needlessly losing another life among thousands to a crisis that shows no signs of slowing down. Pregnant and parenting people using substances face tremendous stigma, judgment, blame from their families, communities and the healthcare system and are often fearful of having their child, children removed. That's why this pilot is so important. Evidence from the pilot program will be used to inform future health care planning for new parents who use substances. Still ahead, snack time for a hungry bear. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny that he took gummy bears. A big Bruin with the munchies makes a scene in Lake Cowichan. Plus, high expectations for the Vancouver Canucks, what they said at their final skate before the season opener tonight, coming up in sports. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrewa. Consumer Matters with Andrewa on Global News. Pretty pleasant fall day around here, but uh, wild weather further down the coast. We've got Christia now to talk a little more about the hurricane. Well, it's really quite insane, uh, this hurricane, Chris. As it was making its way towards the coast, you can see Puerto Vallarta right there. We know a lot of people uh, from B.C. travel down there. It was a Category 1 earlier in the day yesterday, and by evening, like within six hours, it uh, grew to a Category 4. So it had 125-kilometer-an-hour uh, winds, and then just as it made its way on shore, those bumped up to 250-kilometer-an-hour winds. So so right now, that area is dealing with widespread flooding across the region. They have numerous power outages because of downed trees. The storm surge was quite insane. You can see it's dissipated now, but the impact has certainly been felt, and there have been reports of some deaths. Uh, the actual number, though, is unconfirmed. Meanwhile, on the western side of the Pacific, there is a massive super typhoon, uh, Bolivan, uh, that has grown just in the last little while. The good news is it is tracking towards a more the north into colder waters, and it is expected to uh, decrease in size over the next 24 hours, and it is traveling outwards towards the Pacific, so it's not expected to make landfall, thankfully. Now, for our region, we've been very lucky. It was beautiful today. We cleared the skies fairly quickly. Tonight will be cold because of the clear skies, so keep that in mind. And with the clear skies, we are expecting extensive fog in the interior and along the coast. So although we'll see fog in the 
the morning. We've got plenty of sunshine on the way. The north coast areas like Prince Rupert, though, you will see cloud cover and Sandspit is expecting a few showers, but all the rest of the province, sunshine for your Thursday. And we'll continue with that pattern again on Friday. So 15 to 19 degrees across Metro Vancouver for our day tomorrow and up to 20 degrees away from the water on Friday. So far, the weekend is looking unsettled. It's not a total washout, but we are expecting a few showers with some possible breaks in the clouds. All right, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Stanley Park. Looking towards Vancouver, David Chewy sharing that with us. A stunning fall shot. Chris, mm -hmm. back to you. Gorgeous. Thanks very much, Christy. All right, so every golfer in the world dreams of a hole-in-one. And for one Saskatoon man, that dream has come true multiple times. But as Easton Ham shows us, his accomplishment stands out for another reason, too. It's kind of a little bit like a cookie jar, so yeah, there they are. The odds of making a hole-in-one are 12,500 to 1. Vito Ayula now has five of them. I just get these random texts from people and friends saying, Dude, you, you're not going to believe this. You know, they're doing searching on the Google and Internet and seeing, you know, what the odds are and so forth. So my understanding is there's not too many people have done it. All five of his holes in one have something in common. Hole seven at Riverside Country Club in Saskatoon. It's just a beautiful hole because got a nice bunker in front of the green and it's shaped beautifully. And yeah, it uh, I have to say it's my favorite hole in the course. All five holes in one are verifiable. It's something only one other golfer in the world has accomplished according to the National Hole in One Registry, an almost unbelievable feat. It's uh, becoming quite something out here, a little buzz around the golf club with Vito being able to accomplish this amazing feat. So we're very proud of him and should be proud of himself. It's something very special. Earl Scott met Ayula 35 years ago, helping him get his first set of clubs at age eight. He might have another one in him today. It just seems to show up and knock it in the hole on a regular basis. So it's, it's a great thing and uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So Global News took Ayula out to hole seven to see if we could test his luck. Yeah, right now, like I'm shooting it at 154 yards. The wind's behind, so definitely we're gonna have some help with the wind. And a couple of your hole in ones, 152, right? Yeah, 152, 156. The hole-in-one cookie jar still has a bit of room if the sixth comes. Easton Ham, Global News. It's pretty close. Yeah, well, he's done it. Not an ace. Yeah, well. Speaking, speaking of an ace, there's Squire. That's very kind of you. Now I will talk about hockey aces. Like Mario Lemieux, who scored a goal in his first NHL game. Wayne Gretzky, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. They scored their first goal in their third game. Connor Bedard has done it in his second game. Now Bedard with a shot, saved by Omar. Coming around is Bedard, he scores! Yeah, there it is, against the Bruins, gets on the scoreboard after getting an assist in his first game last night. I'm betting he keeps the puck. Also tonight, a hungry bear with a sweet tooth. here with sports and yes very big night for Canucks fans yes now we begin mm -hmm. the heaven and hell 
the ups and downs from here to mid-April and maybe beyond if they make the playoffs. True. But this is when Vancouverites get high and they get low it's a all season long. I know. Well, it's like that in any hockey market in Canada. It's like a big roller coaster ride. Anyway, the Canucks have a new captain. They have new players for the penalty kill. They even have a new scoreboard that they seem very proud of. But they face an old nemesis tonight. Connor McDrysidle and the Edmonton Oilers. Best power play in the world. This is a test for the Canucks' new penalty kill. Uh, also, this team has had very good luck playing against Thatcher Demko, who will start tonight. In 12 games, the Oilers are 8-3-1 against Demko. Now, the Canucks held their morning skate today, not really knowing if they'd have a full complement of players for this game this evening. They might be one short. Jay was at the rink today and tells us more about it. Well, the Vancouver Canucks begin the NHL season with back-to-back -back games against the Edmonton Oilers, and it looks like they could be down a skater due to the flu bug and injuries. Carson Soucy, Teddy Bluger, Guillaume Brisebois, all game-time decisions, while Elon Mikheyev is still looking for medical clearance before he can suit up for the Vancouver Canucks. The good news is they do have a very healthy Elias Pettersson, who's coming off of his first 100-point NHL season. I've been training hard this summer. I uh, think I got more in me, so... I'm excited, I'm ready, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm going give to give it my all out there. I've got a little stronger in the summer, uh, got a little heavier too, I know you guys like that, so uh, yeah. Vancouver finishing 12 points out of a playoff spot last season, while the Edmonton Oilers, they fell short of their goal of winning the Stanley Cup. The last two seasons, the Oilers hockey team has won 99 hockey games, and this year marks the ninth season of the talented duo of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. In just under a decade, these two have terrorized NHL opposition. 1,585 points, 607 NHL goals, and 16 combined awards. You know, they, they rely on them a lot over the years, and they've delivered under pressure. That's what I remember, guys that can play under pressure. And uh, they're hungry, you can tell. Can you defend them? Well, I mean, there's certain things that we're going to try to do. I mean, uh, you try to contain. There's going to be some situations where... You know, you're not going to have everybody to defend them, and we're going to have to make sure that we give the worst option for him. You know, we can't give him the grade, grade, grade A's, but there's going to be, he's going to get his looks. We just got to temper those looks and make sure he goes into our coverage, not where we have one guy naked with him. I mean, that's where he'll kill you. You know, this is the real deal against the best players in the world, so it's definitely going to test us, but, you know, that we should want this and embrace this. I mean, these are, I mean, for me as a, you know, being on the kill. I mean, these are the moments I want to be in. It's against the best, the best uh, power play and some of the best players in the world. So, um, you know, super easy reasons to get up today, and that's obviously a big challenge for us. One roster move to tell you about today: Vasily Podkolzin has been sent back down to Abbotsford, while defenseman Akita Hirose has been recalled. Thatcher Demko will start in goal tonight as the Canucks and Oilers face off 7:09 from Rogers Arena. With your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. We started last night in Pittsburgh. Tonight, Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks are in Boston. And we showed you it before the break. Here's another look. His first ever goal starts with a nice back pass by Connor Bedard and just goes around the net. He has the speed. He has the hands. That made it 1-0 in this game. And here's another look at Bedard's first ever NHL goal. There will be more, much more after that one. But how about this, Brad Marchand? He's trying to get Bedard to the Boston Bruins side of the ice. Well, it's typical Marchand. Good thing he didn't lick him. 2-1 uh, in the third period. Bruins lead Blackhawks.
from Vancouver, British Columbia, number 39, Congratulations, former Kamloops Blazer. Also played some hockey in Prince George in the NHL. And this has been a crazy game. This is a former BCHL star, Alex Newhook, tipping in his second goal of the game. It was 5-3 Montreal. Now it's 5-5, very late in the third period. I think it was 2-0 Habs, 3-2 Leafs, 5-3 Habs, now 5-5. Now, so because of that overtime loss against Winnipeg last week. The BC Lions are pretty much stuck in second place in the West. They could get first if they win their final two and Winnipeg loses its final two. That's not likely to happen. The Bombers losing two straight, I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. The Lions, though, could win two in a row. They play Hamilton on Friday in Hamilton. Running back Taquan Mizell cannot play in this game because he's a rib injury. So the Lions are going to use former Dallas Cowboys running back Jaquan Hardy instead. Here's Hardy, breaking free and into the end zone for the touchdown. Uh, we're looking forward to him. Our personnel department's really high on him. I um, think he can bring a certain physicality to the game, and so uh, we'll see how it goes. All right. We'll see how it goes. He's got game. All right, a black bear who can't resist gummy bears coming up next. He'll be in the tent. All your local news, all your breaking news, all the news you need. Get it at 6, Global News Hour at 6. Andrew is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. And Thanks, Chris. We'll have reaction to Vancouver Mayor Ken Sims' announcement today to address the housing crisis in the city and improve affordability. And the chief of the Spuzzum First Nations says his members are upset now that Ottawa has reversed course on an emergency order to protect the northern spotted owl in the Fraser Canyon Territory. The owl is endangered and considered sacred. Earlier this year, the federal minister said he was recommending the order to protect the spotted owl from any imminent threats to its survival, but that appears to have all changed. We'll have reaction from Chief James Hobart about the plan moving forward tonight at 11. Chris. Okay, look forward to that. Thanks very much, Ann. And we'll stay with the wildlife theme for a little bit longer. It sounds like the beginning of a joke. So this bear walks into a bar. Only in this case, it's a gas bar on Vancouver Island, and it actually happened. The animal walked past the chips and ice cream and instead grabbed some bear-shaped treats. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the escapade was captured on surveillance video. For as long as anyone here can remember, this pit stop has served its community. A spot to fill up on gas and, of course, the bare necessities. A lot of pop, water, chips, chocolate bars. We saw a little bit of everything. Here at Tipton's, everyone is welcome. People like the mum and pop operations. We like to make people think that they're coming home. Every customer is a great customer. But early Monday morning, that open door policy was taken a little too far. Well, this little black bear walked in the door. It's a first. Karen's husband, Jay, was behind the counter sipping his coffee. He stood in shock, bearing witness to a robbery in progress. He started walking around the store, checking stuff out, sniffing at everything. His nose led him here. And of all things, this is what he took. 
think it's hilarious that he would have picked the gummy bears. Oh, I thought it was funny. It's kind of ironic. <laughs> he had a sweet tooth. Aside from the theft, the store was left intact. The bear could have done some serious damage, so... I mean, they get away pretty lucky. It's all fun and games till somebody gets eaten. But the story they now have to tell has made all of the what-ifs well worth it. Brand can barely contain herself. I know it's a wild animal, but I just really wanted to give it a hug. <laughs> I just thought it was awesome. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All feel that way, but hopefully it doesn't come back for seconds. Uh, all right, we've got about 30 seconds left in the show. Christy, uh, final word on weather? Sure, I have to just give Kylie kudos. She's always so good with her writing, isn't she? All right. Very clever. Uh, we've got two days of sunshine. Yeah, she's so clever. Um, 20 degrees away from the water on Friday, so nice and warm, that's for sure. Well above seasonal. And then we cool off with a few showers over the weekend. So enjoy the next couple of days. All right, we sure will. Uh, Bedard Gold Watch, anything else? Not I so just far. got the one so far. Just the one so far. All right, good luck to the Canucks tonight. Enjoy the game. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.